Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, January the 11th, 2023. Almost said 2022. Let's do that again. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. It is Wednesday, January the 11th, 2023. It is currently 1.56 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas, where it's currently 82 degrees. Yes, it's a beautiful, cold, crisp West Texas January afternoon at 82 degrees. No, things are definitely heating up outside. And you know what that means? Things are heating up here. Isn't that so cliche? Isn't that, isn't that really, like, just, just right on the nose cliche? That, like, it's heating up outside. It's heating up on the airwaves, right? So... All right, do do we, let, let's just try all of that again. Let's do the whole thing again. You, you want to do it again? I, right. I am discerning that I need to do that again. I need to do it in a more professional way. So let's try it again. Are you ready? Take number three. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. It is Wednesday, January the 11th, 2023. It is currently 1.57 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're going to continue our study. Really, this is not even really our study yet. We're going to continue our preview. We're going to continue our our pre-show study of discernment. If you have been with us, let me just remind you quickly, I introduced... I believe it's been a little while, a few days back, maybe even last week, I, I introduced to everyone what we're going to be studying for the next seven weeks, which is the subject, the theme, the top topic of discernment. All right. And we're using the curriculum and the curriculum wants, the curriculum wants to take us one direction. I'm going to take us the opposite direction, but still using the curriculum. So I kind of gave you an idea what the curriculum is going to do. I kind of introduced it, and then I decided, you know what? I kind of introduced the study way early. So I know what I'll do to really get us ready, to kind of give us a preview, to kind of prime the pump, to try to really get us started. We'll just start doing a little bit of work on discernment, kind of separate from the curriculum, not really follow the curriculum, but we'll just kind of throw in some different things and kind of get us ready, get us thinking, raise some questions, and just really try to build up the anticipation and the excitement to study something that I think is very, very important, and that is discernment. And one of the things I came up with is because the other day I was downstairs and on my iPad I get a notification and the notification read, a cup of discernment. And I'm like, a cup of discernment? What is this? And I clicked on it and realized it was an episode of Insight for Living from Chuck Swindoll or Charles Swindoll, how, however you would like to refer to him as. And I thought, you know what? I'll grab the audio and we will review what Chuck Swindoll has to say in regards to discernment, really as a preview really just to get us prepared for our own study and discussion about discernment. So this is discern, Bible study exercise discernment part four. And we're, what we're really doing is just trying to get everyone thinking and, 
and raising those questions. And I hope you appreciate kind of this, I don't know, almost a a pre-show, a pre-study, study of what we're going to do. I, I, it's kind of an interesting approach, but I always like changing it up all the time. And, and that, that's, that's just is kind of where, you know, I, I didn't really, I don't sometimes have these things planned out. I just kind of follow where things lead us. And if I see that, wait a minute, we're getting ready to spend seven weeks studying discernment. And here's a very famous, well-known podcast. This podcast is, in, you know, clearly in the top 1% of all podcasts around the world. Insight for Living is listened to by millions of people. I'm like, well, then let's see what they have to say about discernment to get us ready for our own discussion. Okay, so that's what we started doing. Now, we have done about two hours of review, and we've only made it six minutes into the thing we are reviewing because there has been so very much to discuss. And in the midst of this, I have created right here on this envelope... I literally wrote it on an envelope, kind of my theses on discernment, kind of my hypothesis, my thesis theses that I'm going to kind of refer to over and over and over again. And I, this was never really, I don't know if this is the direction we would have ended up at if it wasn't for this review. Doing this review has kind of maybe changed some of the things we're going to be focusing on, which I think is just going to add to the study. But here we go. I need you to get this down, write this down. Now we're going to clean it up over the next seven weeks. We're going to, we're going to really try to get this written in a way that I think makes the most sense. But right now it's kind of still rough. It's kind of it's not as polished as maybe it should be. I'm still waiting for someone to send me an email going, you should state it this way. Feel free to do that. But here is the thesis that we've, I've put forth so far. And I know it's controversial. I know it's controversial, but at least hear me out. Here we go. Discernment in practice. Now, please hear that. Discernment in practice. I'm not saying in theory. I'm not saying what discernment should be. I think there is the discernment that we learn about, the theoretical discernment, the ideology of discernment. And I think it sounds good and everyone can say, yes, we need discernment. But once you move from the theoretical, once you move from the ideological, once you move from the theological and you get to something practical, I think something there's a massive disconnect. Because discernment in practice is the subjective, the subjective practice of us, that includes me, judging things on the basis of our own authority and fallible interpretation. Now, Christians don't like that. Let me read that to you again. Discernment in practice is the subjective practice of us judging things on the basis of our own authority and fallible interpretation. Now, people don't like that, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. That's what happens in practice. What we want to claim is no, 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 no. Discernment is where I take the infallible, inspired, inerrant word of God, and I judge things on the basis of scripture alone. Now, we can preach that. We can write that in a textbook. 
We can, we can put that on a PowerPoint slide and tell the whole church. We can all go around our Sunday school class and everyone repeat that and say, yes, that's what discernment is. But in practice, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It's not the authority of God's word that's, that's, that we are discerning things by. It's our own authority. We judge based on what we feel, what we think, and based off our own fallible interpretation of Scripture. As much as we want to say Scripture is the authority, the reality, I become the authority because I'm judging things on the basis of my own subjective, my own fallible and subjective interpretation of said Scripture. So in a, in a, in the reality is, it's not Scripture that's the authority. We become the authority. I know we don't like to admit that, but it happens over and over. Look, if Scripture was the authority, and it was truly the authority, then why would we have thousands upon thousands of denominations, and we can't agree on anything? Because no matter how much we want to deny it, it's very, it's very subtle. I'm holding a Bible. And I'm like, this is the authority. But the reality is, it's my authority. I become the Pope. I become the magisterium. And I offer up, even though they're fallible, uh, fallible dogmas, we act like they're infallible dogmas. So you can have a pastor who prepare, pre- preaches a sermon. He would say it's based off the word of God. Someone will listen to said sermon, and then they would say, no, based on, the wor- based, based on the word of God, you're wrong. The preacher says, no, my sermon is based on scripture, and it's correct. The person listening says, based off scripture, you're wrong, and it isn't correct. Well, obviously, something has gone wrong, and everyone will claim that they have discernment, and everyone will claim they have understanding. And I think this, this, this is where we have to start. When we start with discernment, we have to realize Man, there's a big disconnect between what we think discernment should be and what we think it is versus how it actually plays itself out. And so, and the reason, the reason we got to this thesis is because the audio that we are reviewing begins with the voiceover introducing the podcast episode that basically says something, and I am paraphrasing, that as a believer— Basically, you have the right, the responsibility, and the authority to take, to listen to preaching, to to listen to teaching, and then you judge it on the basis of God's word. And if you don't do that, it's dangerous, it's destructive. Well, that sounds so good, but the reality is that anytime anyone listens to preaching based off their own authority, they say, this is what the scripture says, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, which leads to never-ending conflict, no agreement, and spiritual anarchy. You say, well, what's the solution? I've already offered some solutions in the previous two episodes. And before the seven weeks are over, we're going to create a PDF of of discernment do's and don'ts. And we're going to try to see if we can create something that will help us not only acknowledge this problem, but try to navigate it. All right. Now, that was a long review, but that's okay. Trying to get everyone on the same page. Here we go. In our review of the audio from Chuck Swindoll, we are about six minutes in. I've backed it up to the three minutes and 44 second mark. 
We're right up. We're 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 going to just kind of jump back in. But Swindoll is telling basically a story of how he used to be at one point in his life, basically had become brainwashed to really bad theology. And so obviously discernment is important so that you can avoid the bad theology. So he was in a basically a church where it was horrible, wrong teaching that brainwashed him. And so according, so basically, if you look at this and, we're, and, and you think about it logically, of course, the church he was in would have claimed that they were preaching the truth. Swindoll claims that they were preaching error. And so off, off Swindoll's discernment, he discerned then at some point that they were false and left it. But of course, the people there discerned that they were telling the truth and that they were right and they stayed. Meaning, again, how subjective in practice discernment can become. But let's go back and listen to him tell this story and see how far we can get in today's review as we continue to kind of do a pre-show preview, pre-study on discernment. And Sunday, we'll we'll switch from kind of a pre-show, a pre-study to the actual study, and hopefully you're ready for that. But here we go. Thinking caps on. Okay, I got the volume turned. This kind of comes in loud. All right, here we go. I think this should work. Here we go. And I fell into the teaching of a very persuasive and strong, powerful teacher whose stated goal was to communicate the doctrines of the Bible and all who sat under his ministry, uh, he promised, would become grounded in the Word. And he succeeded in many, many lives. And for that period of time, I became... I suppose, looking back on that, sort of brainwashed. I received information, some of which I realize now was spurious, but I got a hold of truth, and that was stimulating to me because I was so blatantly ignorant of how the Scriptures fit together. Now, please note, you can kind of hear a little bit of this, right? So he's in a church. He's being taught. He's being brainwashed. He obviously believes what's being taught is false, but at some point he gets truth. So now guess guess see how this discernment works. Who gets to determine what's true or false? Swindoll gets to determine what's true or false. This is how it works in all of our lives. This is why I I define it as a subjective process, that in practice it's a subjective process. It's a a subjective practice. It's, it's, It's... It's just subjective. And to say that it's not is just you're denying reality. Because I guarantee you, if we got the if we found that previous pastor and we pulled Swindoll and we put them in the same room, that pastor would be like, Swindoll is wrong. We have truth. We discern the truth. We study the word of God. We have truth. And Macar- and uh, not MacArthur, Swindoll would be like, no, 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 no. I found truth. You brainwashed me. Both would be saying that they're using the word of God. Both of them would be saying that their conclusions are based on the word of God, and both of them would be telling the other person that they are wrong. And both of them would say they're exercising biblical discernment. (laughs) If that doesn't bother you just a little bit, then I, I, I don't know. Some Christians just get mad and they push back and they get defensive. But we just have to acknowledge this. This has been going on for 2,000 years. 
You're right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. You're right. No, I'm wrong. You're wrong. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's just yelling, right, wrong, right, right, wrong, 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 right, right, wrong, wrong, right. And then, and, but everyone be claiming the scripture says, the scripture says. We need discernment. We need discernment. Every, both camps would be saying, I mean, you can go to a charismatic church. We need discernment. You can go to a non-charismatic church. We need discernment. You can go to a Presbyterian church. We need discernment. You can go to a Baptist church. We need discernment. Get all of them together and start talking about theology. There's no agreement. Okay. All claiming the Bible, all claiming discernment. Nobody can agree. So, so what happens? Because, back to my thesis, discernment and practice is the subjective practice of us judging things on the basis of our own authority and fallible interpretation. Let's continue the story of Swindoll being brainwashed in this fraudulent supposed theological system. Now, he doesn't give us the church, doesn't give us the theology, so there's no way for you. I wish he, if he would give us, they taught this doctrine and it's false, then we would be able to go, oh, I agree with Swindoll. No, I agree with the other church, but he's not going to give us an, any information at all. So I don't know why. I mean, when you give an illustration like this, you leave it so vague that I, I guess the only thing I'm supposed to take for it from it is, oh no, there's wrong teaching out there. I need dis- discernment to avoid it. Who gets one man's false teaching is another man's truth. And as time passed, I grew not only in knowledge, but in pride. My life, and I was at that time involved with the woman who was to be my wife, and even following our marriage, we continued to be involved in that style of teaching. And there was a growing cancer in our lives. There was a lack of compassion, it seemed. There was a lack of tolerance for people who would not agree with this system of thought. And interestingly, looking back on it, we both crawled in sort of an intellectual tunnel. People became less and less important. The lost weren't significant to us, certainly not to me. And while I was growing in my facts, I was diminishing in what I would call color, a third dimension of life. My joy seemed to be missing. And in fact, I became increasingly more rigid. And I'm not made to be rigid. I became more structured, and I am not that much of a structured person in my personality. Very little creativity flowed through my mind. And life became a series of grays and blacks and whites. No color, no beauty, no cushion, no room for people who happen to disagree. And the more I imbibed at that fountain, the less there was of love in me. I suppose I could say, looking back on it, that uh, what I gained was knowledge and what I lacked was discernment. Now, this is where we kind of struggled with a little bit late last night. He gained knowledge but lacked discernment. Now, I put forth the question to challenge everyone. What is the connection between knowledge and discernment? To me, the more knowledge you gain, discernment just is the 
is the result of it. Knowledge to me, the result of increased knowledge is increased discernment. That's the way I I see the correlation that way. The more knowledge I gain about something, the more discernment I have in regards to that knowledge, right? If I have, if I gain all the knowledge in the world about, you just name the subject and anyone talks about it or any discussion, I'm going to have discernment to go, no, 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 no. That's a wrong way of, no, you misunderstand that. No, 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 that's not correct. I'll I'll give you an example. One of the reasons I got taught, one of the reasons I decided to enroll in a Catholic university many years ago to work on a degree on Catholic theology is I got tired of hearing preachers preach sermons in regards to Catholicism. And it was, and even then just my, my surface level knowledge of Catholicism, I was like, I think that's a misrepresentation. No, that's not, no, that's not, that's not correct. Well, the more I learned about Catholicism, the greater my discernment became at going, nope, you're misrepresenting. That is not what the Catholic Catechism says. No, that's not what that papal bull said. No, that's not what that encyclical letter said. No, that's not what Vatican II said. You're completely, that's not what the Council of Trent said. Whatever the case may be, my knowledge and the, the greater my knowledge, the greater my discernment. Now, that means the quality of my discernment is dependent upon the quality of my knowledge. Wrong knowledge, wrong discernment. Cor- correct knowledge, correct discernment. I, 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 I struggle with this concept that you gain knowledge but lacked discernment. I don't understand that. Now, you could say I gained false knowledge, therefore I had fraudulent discernment. Now that I would agree with. I believe that there is knowledge and discernment is absolutely connected. I don't think you can have discernment without knowledge. And I don't think you can lack discernment if you're increasing in knowledge. That is, that's my perspective. Now, not everyone may agree with that, but I, I, I am kind of convinced currently at that, but let's see where he goes. I missed that which causes life to be tolerable, in fact, beautiful. And rather than having open arms for people, I push them away. Certainly those who didn't agree with this system of thought. Now, uh, I feel deeply about what I want to talk with you about. I don't have a long talk in mind, but I do have several warnings that I want to leave with you And uh, in the process, I want you to hear me well, because we are on the verge of a series of subjects in our ministry where there will be a lot of information communicated, a lot of facts. I hope they will be interesting. I hope they will be presented in a believable and understandable manner. Interestingly, when I look back, I remember learning a whole new vocabulary. I'm not going to give you a new vocabulary. Uh, I don't want you to leave thinking like I think. I want you to understand as best you can what Scripture is teaching, but I want us to mix it with discernment. I want that very much. I want our imagination and I want our color and I want our creativity to be encouraged while we learn new dimensions of Christian truth. The last thing I want to happen is that we become a body of exclusive people who have no room for folks who are not as informed as we. 
if somehow in the process of these studies you become less concerned about the person without Christ, something is missing. I find it interesting because it, it, it feels to me he, he keep he, he on one end it's like we're going to get knowledge but we got to also have discernment but when he describes it it sounds like that what he wants to balance is knowledge with compassion love caring humility and it's almost like he's making synonymous with discernment love compassion and humi- and, and and humility but Discernment is the ability to judge correctly, right? So it's weird. Like he, on some cases, he keeps mentioning discernment, but then he starts talking about no color and and a being rigid and being harsh and being unloving and not being accepting. And it's like I, I don't know. It's like does he have a different understanding of discernment than the actual meaning of the word? I don't know. Maybe he's going to define it, but it's just so every time he starts talking about it, it seems like he goes to this idea: there's just no color in life, and became rigid, and and I pushed people away, and I had no love, and I didn't care about the loss. And I'm like, it sounds like that. What you're worried about is that just gaining knowledge can lead to a harsh, cruel, rigid unloving way of thinking, but I, I, I don't know, like that, that seems like you, you're, you're trying to balance truth with something else, but he keeps trying to act like he's trying to balance truth with discernment. I, I don't know, or knowledge with discernment. Let, let's just see where it goes. And that's an alarm signal going off because life is not meant to be two dimensional. It's multidimensional because our God is. Let me begin with some definitions. Maybe that's a good place to start. First of all, what do I mean when I talk about knowledge? Okay, this could be good. He's going to give us maybe a working definition of knowledge. I'm grabbing pencils here. All right, I got my envelope. All right, Uh, knowledge. So I'm going to write down the word knowledge. And I guess he's going to give us the word discernment. So I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm assuming that's what he's going to do. Let's see if we can get kind of a working and we can see if we agree or disagree with these. Here we go. These are not the kind of definitions you'll find in Webster's. These are definitions related to what I will call simply the spiritual life. By- okay, that's interesting. So he's going to give us a definition not found in a technical dictionary. He's going to give us a definition that somehow relates to the spiritual life. Now, we're talking about discernment, okay? Now, we need to discern how we understand these definitions and whether they are right or not. Or can we just make up our own definitions? Hey, I know what Webster's Dictionary says, but we don't care about that. We are going to create our own definition for the word knowledge and for the word discernment. And that's the definition that is now binding upon everyone, okay? That's just kind of an interesting way. I'm not going to go with the technical definition. Uh, Let's see where this goes. Knowledge, I mean, an acquisition of biblical facts, principles, and doctrines. When we talk about gaining knowledge, we talk about understanding the facts and the principles of Scripture so that they fit together into a system of thought that become for us a doctrinal position. Okay, so he's he's defining knowledge as simply the a getting 
attaining, ascertaining biblical facts that basically then turn into a system of doctrine. Right now, to me, there can be no discernment biblically, theologically, spiritually without first ascertaining, obtaining, getting, whatever word you want to use, those facts. You have to have the facts. So I see the correlation between knowledge and discernment is there can be no biblical discernment without knowledge, biblical knowledge. I, I, I just, I, I, I see the correlation there. All right, let, let's, let's see what he does with this. Knowledge doesn't have emotion involved. Knowledge lacks action. Knowledge lacks love. Knowledge, as I refer to it, has to do with facts, and they can remain theoretical if you let them. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me show you a place where knowledge appears in this light, interestingly, in a chapter on love. And here there is a beautiful balance. 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, there's the word, if I know all knowledge, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. You remember this section. It's the most wonderful treatise written on love in all of literature. It cannot be improved upon. But the reference here is to... Now, I, I think that, remember what I said I felt he was going? Now, remember, I don't listen to these things prior to, right? I'm listening to them in real time. So I find it interesting that I, the way I was hearing it is that he was trying to balance out he kept trying, it sounds like he, he kept using knowledge and discernment, but I said it sounded like he was defining discernment as love, that he gained knowledge, but he lacked love. He gained facts, but he lacked love. He said he gained knowledge and lacked discernment. I No, I think he was describing a situation where he obtained knowledge, 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 and that puffed him up and he became proud, arrogant, unloving, and condemning and self-righteous. I don't, I don't know why he wants to say knowledge and discernment when it should be knowledge and love. That that's that's. So I'm going to be interesting to see how he circles back to the discernment and gives it an actual definition that fits with what discernment is. A knowledge that is a factual, doctrinal, theological, biblical kind of knowledge. And Paul's emphasis here is that there be love with it. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Same group of people written a little bit later by the same writer, Paul. Verse 3, 2 Corinthians 10, 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against, there's our word, the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I am referring to a knowledge of God, a knowledge about God, a knowledge about His Word. And in the process of developing a learning church, knowledge is extremely valuable. 
But as I've said earlier, it is not an end in itself. I came to an end of uh, just sheer knowledge in my pilgrimage when I met up with a man who took me under his wing for a period of over a year. He detected in me this awful uh, pride, this intolerance that I referred to earlier. And he found that I was with him somewhat easy to get along with, but with others of my peers, I was not. Didn't have much patience. When they said foolish things about uh, something that they said was from the Bible and I knew it wasn't, I didn't have any tact about it. I didn't have any tolerance with them. And he pointed it out to me. He said, you know, Chuck, you have a lot of knowledge, but you don't have much tact. You seem to be proud of a Bible that is really well marked. In fact, I'll never forget the way he put it. He said, it looks like you've been dragging it behind your car for a year or two. And it was very well marked. And I went back to that old Bible just this past week, and I looked at my notes, and everything in my notes had the mark of one teacher, one system of thought, one kind of marking. And I don't think there is a page that doesn't have some kind of marking on it. And it all is from that slant. And I find it today rather tragic. Okay, I still don't know where the discernment's coming in. It sounds like what he's saying is I got knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. And here's the problem. I got knowledge, but I didn't have love. I had knowledge, but no humility. And I had knowledge, but the knowledge was one-sided, only from one school of thought, one system of theology, and I was not balanced in it. So he had knowledge, but no balance. He had knowledge, but no humility. He had knowledge, but no love. Okay, I got know that, that that's a whole interesting topic. That's a wonderful thing. And we do need to discuss that at some point. But remember, the, this, this is entitled A Cup of Discernment. So at some point, it's got to transition from this to discernment. I'm still trying to figure out how we're going to get to discernment. Because when he says that he gained knowledge but lacked discernment, no, he, you gained knowledge but lacked love. You lacked humility and you lacked balance. That, that's what I've gotten from this so far. And I look at it with a sigh. I am grateful for the facts that to this day hold up, but I've had a devil of a time unlearning those things that were false. Okay, so the facts hold up. So somehow the facts were true, but there were other things that were false. I don't know which part. See, this this is very... This is very hard to analyze because he won't just come out and say, here's the person I learned from, here is the system, because then I could just go study that system and know what he's talking about. But he's saying the facts of the system was right, but there was something false. What was the false part? And there was a lot of that. I've had the hardest time in the process of years that had passed putting into practice all that knowledge. You see, with the entrance of truth, there is equally an entrance of responsibility. And if I'm going to do a study on patience, it isn't simply to learn how to spell it or how to trace every time it appears in Scripture. There is the assignment to become patient. Ooh, now, okay. We could get into a whole theological study here, right? And, 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 and I'm very aware of his, his teaching on this because remember, I, I've, always, I've told the story a thousand times that the three people who discipled me in a roundabout way 
was now for, oh, there was four people who discipled me. The first one was an older woman who after school, I would ride my bike to her house, sit on the floor. She sat in the, her rocking chair with a, a big Bible and talk doctrine, theology, church history. And I learned a lot. And I learned probably most from her than I ever did from any, from any pastor. All right. Um, she, she was amazing. She was awesome. She was brilliant. All right. But then when I would leave there or on days I didn't go there, as soon as I got home, I, I, I was a brand new Christian, had three notebooks. You all know the story. I had three notebooks. One was a notebook for MacArthur. One was a notebook for Swindoll. One was a notebook for Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel. The notebook for Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, never had anything in it. I, I, I There was a disconnect. I don't, I don't even know what in the world that was. So I never wrote anything down from Chuck Smith. Boom. That note, and I, literally that notebook never, I never wrote down one thing. It was just, I, it, there was just a disconnect. MacArthur, what did I learn from him? Exegeting scripture, verse by verse, figuring out what the scripture says, figuring out what, what matters is what do the scriptures say? Now, what do they say to me? What do they say? And so I, that's where I learned exegesis, and I started learning how to try to interpret and understanding verse by verse. That's, that's what I learned from him. The other program was Insight for Living with Chuck Swindoll. And what did I learn from him? application, 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 application. For every passage of scripture, it has to be applied. It has to be applied. It has to be applied. And I I think that now maybe I have a little bit different theory than he just explained. His theory is if you do a intensive study on patience, you what you're studying patience for is so that you can do it. You're studying patience so that you can obey it. You're studying patience so you can carry it out. And I think this comes back to our long ongoing series on law and gospel. I think what we do is we study it to find out what God says. And what we find is that God tells us how to be patient and what patience is. And you know what you will discover? That you will never be as patient as God calls you to be patient. Whenever you study anything, you're going to find out that what God tells you to do, what God calls you to do, you fall short of it. So I think the reality is, is we study the word of God so that we can be confronted with the truth of God's word, that we will see our failure to live up to it, and that we would be driven to Christ who, who fulfilled all of it for us. See, many just look at it. No, 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 no. You look to the scripture so you can do it. And it's a never ending cycle, trying to do it and failing, trying to do it and failing, trying to do it and failing, or convincing yourself you are when clearly you're not. And I think what we should do is we study scripture to find out what God has to say in his word. What is truth? Once I discover the truth, here's what I will find. Almost instantaneously, if I'm even being remotely honest with myself, I fall short of that. What is my hope? The finished work of Jesus Christ. And in him, his obedience to this standard is imputed to my account. I don't perceive that we just studied so that we can do. We study to know and we will discover that we don't do and we need someone who did it for us. I think that's a radically different approach. You can tell me whether you agree or disagree, but we still haven't gotten anything on discernment. Let's continue. So I think what I really want to address, and I have been wanting to address it for a long time, is along with knowledge, discernment. 
finally, finally. All right. So with knowledge, discernment. All right. Now I got my pencil ready. Knowledge is the attaining, ascertaining, obtaining, whatever words you want to use. Biblical facts. We got it. He believed that what was missing in his life is he got the biblical facts, but he was missing love. He was missing, um, what else was he missing? Humility. Uh, I can't remember all the things he was missing there, but it was it was love, compassion, humility. He was missing these other things. Um, and, and so none of that had anything to do with discernment. Now we get to discernment. What do I mean by discernment? What is that? Discernment is the ability to recognize, to perceive beyond what is said. Now, this gets a little bit sticky, and it's not quite as exact. Okay, he says discernment is the ability to recognize what is not said. Oh, wow. Now, this, we're going to back that up. All right, is discernment the ability to recognize what is not said? This would, okay, well, let's listen to this again. To perceive beyond. Right, we didn't go far enough back. Let's go far enough back. Let's go far enough back. Here we go. I mean by discernment. What is that? Discernment is the ability to recognize, to perceive beyond what is said. Now, this gets a little bit sticky, and it's not. Okay, beyond what is, uh, what is not said. All right, so beyond what is not said. So discernment is the ability to recognize, to perceive beyond what is not said. Now, how does, how does this work? Okay, so, so I've got Scripture. I see the words. Now, if I apply his definition to discernment, then I have now have the ability to recognize and perceive what beyond what is said. I see beyond the actual words to what is not said. Now, I, ooh, I, I don't know. Does that make you a little nervous? Hey, look, 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 look. I know we're having this Bible study right? And I know you keep focusing on what was said, but I need you to understand something. I now have the ability to recognize and perceive beyond what is said. That just sounds really, that's making me nervous, but let's let him explain it before I jump to a conclusion because I could be wrong. Let's let him explain it. Not quite as exact. Discernment is the sense the intuition. Discernment is a sense. That's interesting. Sense. Intuition. Intuition. All right. That, that's an interesting word. A sense. So is do you see discernment as you sensing something? You have an intuition of something? This is making it very subjective. This is this is almost this is almost proving my point that uh, discernment in practice is a subjective practice. Now he's not saying that it's a subject. I believe it's a subjective uh, practice where we judge things on the basis of our own authority and fallible interpretation. He's turning discernment into a uh, practice that is subjective, where we judge things on the basis of our 
perceiving beyond what is said and sensing and having an intuition about something. This is going very almost to feeling. This is this. Okay. Now I'm not saying that's where he's, he's, he's going to end up, but I'm saying that's where it's going currently. It is insight outside the realm of the obvious. Insight. Insight outside the realm of the obvious. Oh man, that does this I don't know, is this does this bother you at all? Hey, if you have discernment, you have insight outside the realm of the obvious. Is this turning this into a very mystical type of concept? Where you're going with a sense, with an intuition. You're going beyond what is said. Wow, that I I am I am getting very nervous here. I'm getting very nervous. I'm getting very nervous. I, there's a, this. I, he's got to pull this back somehow. He's got to he's got to clarify this because this to me would be a subjective train wreck. All right, but let let's see if he cleans it up. Is reading between the lines. All right, there's another reading between the lines. Oh wow, reading between the lines. I'm getting really nervous. Reading between the lines. If you saw my writing, you would you would go. I you, I will never remember what I just wrote down because I'm scribbling. But okay, here we go. All right. So, according to him, discernment is the ability to recognize and perceive beyond what is said. It's a sense. It's intuition. It's insight outside the realm of the obvious, and it's reading between the lines. You're with someone and he wants to sell you a car. In the process of listening to the person for a while, you sense the individual is not telling you the truth. Wow. So his first illustration is someone's trying to sell you a car and you get a sense. You get an intuition that he's not telling the truth. And that's discernment. Mm, I it, now, if you learn that this is what discernment is, I need you to tell me what you learned, and if if it over your lifetime did it work or did it it, you, it lead you to just total complete spiritual meltdown? I I I I am not a fan of this. This this is crazy talk to me. At, at the, now he may clean it up, and I may go okay. Now I understand what he's saying. I'm saying at this point, remember, I I am responding and reacting and analyzing in real time. That's how I do this, right? So if we were listening to this together right now, I would have already stopped and just start pacing around the room going, come on, let's talk this out. Do you, do you agree? 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 And you'd be like, leave me alone. Let's finish listening. I'd be like, no, I've got to understand this. Now, some of you may come from a background, theological background. You're like, absolutely. Discernment is the ability to perceive and to recognize beyond what is said. It is a sense. It's an intuition. It's insight outside the realm of the obvious. It's reading between the lines. It's like when someone tries to sell you a car and you just know, you just sense that what they're saying is not true. Can, can you try to apply that to theology? Well, I just sense that what you're saying is not true. I just have an intuition that what you're saying is false. <laughs> what in the Oh, boy. 
Now, he doesn't have a little card in his upper pocket that says, I am a hypocrite. I do not tell the truth. That's too obvious. But you say to your mate or to your friend who is with you on that car lot, I don't trust him. Why don't you trust him? Because you have perceived, you have discerned something that's either present or lacking in his character or in his words, in his presentation. So if I was to right now sing that I am perceiving, I am sensing, have an intuition that Chuck Swindoll is a heretic, does that make it so? Like, mm, I'm this, oh, wow, wow, wow. All right, I, 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 I got to keep going. We, we, we got we to gotta finish this today. We got to finish this right now. We may go over an hour, but we have to finish this. Discernment enters into the realm of wisdom, the wisdom of God. All right, now he just connected discernment with wisdom. And if he do that, he just turned wisdom into a very subjective thing where it's a feeling, it's sensing, it's an intuition. It goes beyond words. You read between the lines. It's uh, insight outside the realm of the obvious. Now, I've always heard that wisdom is the correct application of knowledge, that you gain factual knowledge and wisdom says, here's what you do with it. He just turned wisdom into something extremely subjective and very emotional-based, not fact-based, but emotional-based. Solomon prayed for it in 1 Kings 3 and verse 9. So give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people to discern between good and evil. Now, let me ask you, what is the connection? This is, this is a good question. We almost could do a thematic study, okay? We almost could turn this into a thematic study. What is the connection between knowledge and discernment? I've kind of already thrown that question out there. And what is the connection between wisdom and or discernment and wisdom? What is the connection between knowledge and discernment? And what is the connection between wisdom and discernment? Are they the same? Are they different? All right, let, let, let's, let's see where he's, he's going to go with this. I don't want you to make me rich. I don't want you to make me famous. I don't want you to expand my territory. But I do ask you, oh God, to give me discernment. To understand, to perceive beyond the realm of the seen, of the heard. I want the ability to perceive beyond what is seen. So now he's basically saying discernment. Discernment is the ability to perceive beyond the scene. That hey, that you have now, this is almost like some kind of a supernatural ability. I see that, but I see beyond that. I see the words, but I know beyond the words. I be beyond the obvious. I see beyond, like it's this ability to go beyond everything else, but it's based off a sense, an intuition, a feeling. It would include the idea of sizing up 
a situation, a person. Spotting evil that's lurking in the shadows. But it doesn't always have to do with spotting evil. Discernment also helps us sense truth and good. Discernment gives you the ability to sense truth. Discernment gives you the ability to sense truth. This is insanity. Okay, at this point, I'm ready to just, I no. What this, whatever he's put selling here, I'm not buying. I'm sensing that it's fraudulent. Okay, no, I, I just, just, this leads to just, it's a subjective mess. Hey, you can, I can sense that you're telling me the truth. I can sense that you're giving me a lie. I can just sense it. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, oh man. Okay. There's so much I could say right here. You discern when you are with certain individuals or listening to certain teachers. That person has character. There is a lot of depth in that person's life. That individual is presenting only a bit of what that person knows. There's a lot more behind the counter. I discern I am with a resourceful individual. Man, this is, you know what this is? This is straight up judging, literally on the basis of pure feeling, emotion, intuition. This is not judging on the basis of facts. And you're literally going now into motivation. You're going into, to inter, you're judging the internal. You're judging what is not even seen. You're judging what is not even known. Man, oh, wow, 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 wow. The, the utter damage this could do. I, 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 am, I am literally perplexed by this. Proverbs 2 and verse 5 talks about discerning the fear of the Lord. In the New Testament, it appears not in word but in idea in 1 John chapter 4. Over there in the end of the New Testament, chapter 4 of First. Now, I'm going to go back to that Proverbs 2 that he did not read. My son, if thou will receive my words and hide my commandments so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. If thou criest after knowledge, lift up thy voice for understanding. If you will seek her as silver and search for her as hid treasures, then shall thou understand the fear of the Lord. The way you understand the fear of the Lord is based off words commandments. It is based off the truth of God. In other words, it's based off something objective. He, 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 quote, he, he made a reference to Proverbs 2.5 and immediately ran past it. He didn't go look at the context. The understanding the fear of the Lord is because of the words and the commandments. Discernment is not based off intuition, feeling, and some flimsy, emotional thing. Discernment is based off the knowledge of God's word. He's a, he is creating a discernment that is based off nothing more than just a feeling, an emotion, an intuition, a sense. He, he just ignored the context right there. Now he's going to run to 1 John. Now he's going to run to 1 John. I'm going to go ahead and flip over there. I don't, we may have to back it up to get the exact reference, but 1 John. John verse 1. You've read the verse or you've had it referred to a number of times, I'm sure. Beloved, written to the Christian, do not believe every spirit, but test 
the spirits, to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In today's terms, don't believe everything you hear. Put it to the test. Check it out. Mull it over. Talk it through. Think it out. Check it with Scripture. Be selective. Don't be gullible. Okay, now now he's coming back around to testing it with Scripture, but you've already defined it in the most subjective way possible that it's a sense, it's a feeling. It's going beyond words. Why are you going to check it with Scripture when your supposedly discernment goes beyond the words? And again, in 1 John, once again, now he may read the rest of it, but let's make sure we do know this. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Now, does he say that we are to try the spirits with intuition, a sense, an emotion? No. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. It gives you an objective standard in which to do the test. And that's that objective standard once again proves that First John is a polemic against Gnosticism, but that's a whole different story. So he may read the rest. If he doesn't read the rest, he's still throwing it out there that it's some, he, he says, we check it with scripture, but why am I going to check it with scripture when you've already given me an example where it's just a feeling, it's just a sense. It goes beyond words. It goes beyond what is obvious. It's reading between the lines. First John is saying, here is the test, which is objective. Just because a man wears a collar doesn't mean he's to be followed. Just because there is some media ministry that the person's involved in doesn't mean that he ought to have your support. Please note, he didn't read the actual, he didn't actually read the passage. Now, okay, you're right. You have a media ministry and I shouldn't listen to you. And you know what? I'm not going to do it off intuition. I'm not going to do it off a feeling. I'm not going to do off a sense. I'm not going to go beyond what is obvious. I'm not going to read between the lines. I'm just going to read the scriptures that you keep making reference to. But for some weird reason, you ignore the context. You don't even bother to actually read the text, which clearly shows, yes, if you want understanding, yes, if you want to perceive the fear of the Lord, you have to start with the commandments and the word of God. Hey, you, yes, we are to try the spirits. How do we try the spirits in 1 John 4? By a clear, clear test, and that is, do have they confessed that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Just because he writes material or just because he may present to you in a persuasive fashion some system of thought that sounds so interesting, in fact intriguing, doesn't mean you ought to embrace it. Test the spirits. Turn to Philippians 1 verse 9. It's well, see? See what he did? Test the spirits. But he didn't show you that the test in 1 John is based off an objective standard. Oh, I am, I'm getting irritated. I'm getting so irritated. All right, Philippians chapter one, verse nine. Okay, 
Here we go. I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to be nice. But this is why we're studying discernment because there's so much of this wackiness out there in the world that discernment is some kind of just a feeling, an emotion, a sense, an intuition. You go beyond the words. It's beyond the obvious. It's in between the lines. And so, in other words, you discern what's right and wrong based off your own subjective emotion and feelings. And we just play lip service by saying we check it with the word of God. When you've already defined discernment as really going beyond what the words actually are. The only time this word in the New American Standard Bible appears, that is the word discernment. Philippians 1 verse 9. It's Paul's prayer for the Philippians. He says, in this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge. Interesting word, that real knowledge. It's full knowledge. That you might grow in the depths, in the heights of God's truth and all discernment. Only time it appears in our Bible. Okay, and guess so, therefore, you're right. The discernment or the judging is based off the knowledge. You can't discern, you can't judge apart from objective knowledge. Discernment flows from objective knowledge. Without knowledge, you can't. And if you try to discern based off a feeling, an intuition, a sense beyond what is obvious, reading between the lines, beyond the words, you've now throwing out that objective knowledge for subjective emotionalism, and therefore you're judging things on the basis of something other than objective knowledge or objective truth which then turns your entire discernment into subjective emotionalism. And it's nonsense. Well, is right here. It means to perceive. That's what the original word means. That you may grow not only in real knowledge, but in all perception. Right, because you can't grow in perception unless you grow in knowledge. My perception of something has to be based off my knowledge of it. I'll I'll, I'll use this example. Some of you won't like it, but I'll use it anyway. If you have a very firm, sound knowledge of professional wrestling, you would know that it's storytelling, right? That when they get in the ring, there is storytelling. Now, if I go with you, I know the structure of a wrestling match. I know I know the different parts of it, right? The heat part, the shine part, all the different parts of it. There's like usually like four parts. And I, I, I could sit there in a wrestling match and go, okay, see that right there, right there? Okay, see, now that's, this is the, the story being told in the match is this. I could analyze the story. I could tell you which part of the match we're in. Okay, we're getting ready. Now, this this is the, the heat part, okay? This is where now the baby face makes his comeback. Okay, I, I okay, wait, this is where the, the hill cuts off the baby face from making the comeback. Okay, that's the shine part to give you the psychological idea that the that the baby face can win, but now the hill's gonna gain the I could I could break it down, break it down. I can't do that. I'm not doing that off a sense or an intuition. I'm doing that based off my knowledge of the very art form of professional wrestling, which is a form of storytelling. So I can analyze the story for you and I could break down each section of the match and I could explain this and I could explain that and I could explain that. That's based off knowledge. 
Spiritual discernment is based off knowledge. If the knowledge is wrong, the discernment is wrong. Lack of knowledge, lack of discernment. Now, I wish I could describe to you how that happens. I don't believe there is such a thing as a course on how to become more intuitive. I don't believe anyone can... Please know, now it's intuitive. It's an intuition. No, no, Swindoll, let me help you. The way you gain discernment is by gaining knowledge. Discernment flows from knowledge. It's the result of, it's the fruit of knowledge. Knowledge is the tree. Discernment is the fruit. Knowledge is the vine. Discernment is the branch. Give you the process in a step-by-step or one-two-three fashion on how to grow in discernment. But it can happen if you let it. See, looking back on my life, so, okay, so there's not, a, there's not a step to do this, but if you want to develop this ability to recognize beyond what is actually said, if you want this ability to observe and see what goes beyond reality, if you want to be able to read between the lines, if you want to have this sense, if you want to have this intuition, you just have to let it happen. You just have to let it flow. <laughs> what? I didn't let it. I was young, I was impressionable, I was caught up in this movement, and I was swept into it along with hundreds of others, and I cut off any question, though my mind on occasion got glimpses of a lifestyle that in my heart I knew wasn't right, and of certain rationalizations that down deep inside I knew better than to believe that. All right, so see, now he's going. The way he started figuring this stuff out was an intuition, was a feeling, was, was this is, this is as subject, this is turned discernment into subjective mush. This is turned uh, discernment into subjective nonsense. That, I hate to say it, that's exactly what we're here. And this is what I think happens in the world of Christianity. And even some questionable interpretations that, as time passed, I became increasingly more uneasy with. But at the beginning, he said it, and I believed it, and I bought it. I was growing in knowledge, but I wasn't growing in discernment. See, I don't understand that. The pa- all the passages he referenced was a direct correlation between knowledge and discernment. You want to understand the fear of the Lord? You got to have God's word. You want to be able to test the spirits? Well, you here's the standard that is given. Did Christ come in the flesh? Did the Son of God come in the flesh? There's an objective standard to it. Hey, in Philippians 1.9, hey, Paul's praying that you, may, uh, that you may abound in more and more knowledge and in all judgment. Knowledge precedes the judgment. Knowledge precedes the discerning. And now he keeps referencing, I felt it. I I had an intuition. I knew it. Not, hey, I saw what they were teaching. I checked the scriptures and there was a conflict here. No, 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 no. Nothing objective here. 
This is, he got a feeling. Well, guess what? What if I listen to you, Swindoll, and I get a feeling and I get to an intuition that you're full of garbage? Well, like, is, does that, does that count? There's nothing objective about any of this? Now I'm growing in both. And I wish I could just give it to you in an easy fashion so that it could suddenly take place in your life. Perhaps the warning is all that's needed. Be warned, beware, that if you drink at just one fountain, you will lose. You will lose something of a perspective that God wants to give you. All right, so, so, all right, so the only, the way you get discernment is by just letting it happen. There's no way to give it to you. But then he's right there, just, is he not offering a principle? When it comes to theology and scripture, don't just listen to one perspective. Surround yourself with many perspectives so you can be challenged and so that your conclusions can be challenged and you can test them. Like, that's in that objective step. And that's something objective you can do. But he keeps reverting back, almost retreating back to this intuition, sense, and feeling. Why does he want to keep this in that realm, which is utterly destructive and dangerous? It's like eating one food or going to only one kind of entertainment or reading only one book or wearing only one color. Does that sound drab to everyone else? He says, I pray that you will grow in full knowledge and discernment. Now, this is bringing up the question or the the issue of balance. And you hear me talk about that a lot. I hope you do because it's a major theme of my life. What do I mean when I refer to balance? Now, I, I will give credit to Swindoll. I, you hear me in my preaching constantly say the most important concept in the life of a believer is balance. I learned that from Swindoll. He's the one who, who taught me that over and over and over and over and over and over again. So it's not like I disagree with everything here, but his view on discernment here is utterly insanity to me. I mean by that remaining free of extremes, being able to see the whole picture, not just a part of it, maintaining one's spiritual equilibrium. That's another way I would put it. That's what I mean by balance. Balanced Christians are realistic people. They're still having fun. They see other sides. They are not afraid to say, I don't know. They are tolerant. They are gracious. They value another opinion, even one that may disagree. They may not agree with it, but they value it. They give an individual the dignity of holding another opinion without being put down. They are not threatened. They are not insecure. They're balanced. They realize they haven't all the truth. There may be alternative positions that later they will see as nearer the truth than where they are at the present time. I read somewhere, and I don't know where it was, that heresy is nothing more than truth taken to an extreme. Trace it out. Trace out the heresies, and you will find that they began with a truth that was pushed out of balance. Now, in the Scripture, we find some examples of both positive and negative nature, individuals as well as churches, where there was knowledge but lacking in discernment, and on the other hand, where there was both knowledge and discernment. Let's look at the negative examples first and sort of get them out of the way. Over in the little book of Third John, you were in First John a moment ago. 
Go back to 3 John. There's a classic example of a man who lacked discernment. He has been called by some writers of New Testament uh, works a church boss. He is a self-appointed authority in the early church. His name is Diotrephes. It's a classic example of an unbearable man. There are a few in every church. That's still true today. Some people simply remain unbearable, and they won't leave. They stay. And in the early church, there is one. There are many, but this is one who is earmarked. Verse 9, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, uh, I think John must have sighed, (sighs) but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, doesn't accept what we say. Now note Diotrephes, for a moment he describes him. Now let's stop right here. Now he's trying to describe something, he's seemingly to place Diotrephes in the camp that he has all this knowledge but he has no discernment. Now, is the knowledge that Diotrephes has, is it biblical truth? Well, immediately, he doesn't receive the apostles. He doesn't receive, he receiveth us not. That's John writing, so he's rejecting the apostles. So does, is Diotrephes a believer who somehow had great biblical knowledge, but no discernment? Or is Diotrephes an example of someone who had wrong knowledge, therefore wrong discernment? Once again, I'm hitting the microphone. I apologize. Let's see where this goes. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does. What are they? He unjustly accuses us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, neither does he himself receive the brethren. And... Furthermore, he forbids those who desire to do so, and he puts them out of the church. Now, this seems like someone who completely is rejecting the apostles, completely rejecting their message. So is Diotrephes an example of someone who had great knowledge but no discernment, or someone who had rejected correct knowledge, therefore had wrong discernment? In today's terms, this man was running the show. Here is a savage, loose in a congregation. Here is a man who apparently was well-read. There's not a word about his lacking knowledge. Note that. He could have been well-versed in the Old Testament. But is there anything that talks about his knowledge? He's like, well, it doesn't say anything about him lacking knowledge, so clearly he had to have knowledge, but he didn't have any discernment. But what in the world... He's rejecting the knowledge of the apostles. (laughs) What do you mean it doesn't say anything about him not having knowledge? He's rejecting the apostles. Clearly, therefore, he's rejecting that knowledge. He's rejecting that truth. That could have been the reason he was brought to power or into leadership. But he became so overbearing in his leadership so lacking in discernment to know that he was missing tact and grace and love. Was he missing tact, grace, or love? Or was he missing truth? Therefore, he was condemning and rejecting those who spoke the truth. Was he rejecting, Did he was missing love and compassion or grace, or was he missing truth? That John says 
He is way out of line, and when I come, I will call attention to the deeds that he does. There's something awfully blinding that occurs when you lack discernment, especially if you are one grasping for knowledge, and you go for it, and you go for it like a race driver going for that final lap, and you've got it in that gear, and you've got that thing floorboarded, and you are full bore ahead, and you lack the uh, perception that makes you easy to live with. In the process of growing... It, it sounds like he keeps trying to connect discernment with love. Like, hey, it, you can get all this knowledge, but you can be unbearable. Well, then you're not, you're not having with knowledge love. It's not... You've already turned discernment into... Into something, some subjective thing. Discernment is not about love, grace, or compassion. Discernment is about the ability to judge based off truth. Growing up in the family, I plead with you, if I could get on my knees to make it more effective, I'd do that. I plead with you to remain gracious and tolerant. He wants knowledge balanced with grace and tolerance. What does it get to do with discernment? And you've already destroyed discernment and turned it into a subjective nonsense. I plead with you to be forgiving, to perceive your own logs in your eye, lest you become one who looks for specks in other eyes. This shouldn't be called a cup of discernment. This should be called, I'm going to destroy discernment because I want you to balance your knowledge with love. In the recipe of healthy living, don't forget to add a cup of discernment. That's the creative title that Chuck Swindoll chose for today's message. You're listening to Insight for Living. And there you have it. Now, there's a part two to this where he continues the message, and possibly we will get to that. I don't know if we'll get to it tonight. Maybe I'll do a late night message. Maybe. I don't know. Or uh, There's other things I want to talk about. But this at least gets us started, and now you've heard someone's perception of discernment that I think we need to immediately work to completely combat because I believe that's a wrong understanding of discernment and it destroys discernment. And I believe that there is a connection between knowledge and discernment. Absolutely. And I've already articulated that, so I will not repeat it since we're at one hour and 17 minutes. But in the meantime, email me all of your thoughts about everything that we talked about in this episode and the last two episodes. Let me know. And I hope you join us for the next seven weeks. I hope you use the curriculum. And I hope by the time we're done, we come to some a firm understanding of what discernment is and it isn't. And that we can develop some skills to try to combat the inherent flaw with what happens to discernment once it's put into practice. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Can't wait to hear from you. We'll be alive again on the air this evening at around 7 p.m. as we once again work to understand the proper distinction between law and gospel. That will be 7 p.m. tonight. We'll be live streaming. And uh, I don't know if I'll do anything between now and 7. Um, if for some reason church doesn't work out tonight, small church, you never know what can happen, uh, then we'll, be, we'll go live earlier than that. Um, if uh, that works, and I'll be broadcasting between 7 to 8 p.m., and then I'll come back on the air and possibly 9.30, 10 p.m., maybe for a late pr- uh, night program. I don't know. Who knows what we'll do. 
Um, but just so you know, that is the possible schedule. So have the Church One app, Church O-N-E. That's Church O-N-E. Download the app. Once you download the app, do a search for Theology Central. That is us. Choose us as your broadcaster of choice. And then guess what? You now have the Theology Central app, and you can be notified every time we go go live. And all of our content is placed into series, making it easy to find our very large archive of, well, well over 2,000 uh, messages just on that one app. We're still loading older stuff, but... Um, So at some point, we'll probably be well over 3,000, but uh, there you go. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.